0: Athlete Peeps Podcast with your host, Mark Fernald. Hello, and welcome to the Athlete Peeps Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Fernald, and today we'll be speaking with Dan Burke. Dan Burke is a great friend of mine. He has been a member of a CrossFit that I owned several years ago, and we had many workouts that we shared together, lots of sweat, blood, tears, what have you. Since he left the CrossFit, he has moved on to other things. He has been in ultra marathon races. He's done 50 milers. He's done 100 milers. After his last 100 miler, he decided he wanted to challenge himself further and he's now joining the Ironman circuit. So we, I met up with Dan one morning before his pool workouts at his gym and he was kind enough to share some time with us and tell a little bit about what goes into these Endurance races. Give us some time to get settled. You'll also hear some members kind of wandering around the gym. But again, we're at the gym and that's what we're doing. So please uh, enjoy a wide ranging conversation with my friend Dan Burke. All right. Morning, Dan. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Excellent. Thanks uh, for joining me on the podcast. Uh, It's my pleasure. My pleasure. So I thought uh, we'd start with basically how we got to know each other and uh, talk a little bit about the CrossFit world uh, where you and I kind of originated from, say, five or so years ago. Okay. And, um, you know, at, at this point, everyone kind of has their thoughts, feelings. So I thought I'd kind of start what your take is, what your feeling is after immersing yourself in the CrossFit lifestyle for a while know what your thoughts are my taking it back to the
1: beginning Mm -hmm. so the reason I signed up for CrossFit was I was looking for a, a workout opportunity where someone really just beat the holy crap out of me like someone planned my programming and told me what to do at the time I had just finished my first 50 mile trail race and I was in good running shape that was about it I wasn't really in any other shape just running so I was really intrigued by the CrossFit world to get in there and have a, a more diverse training metric and have full body fitness and and be able to be a better athlete because of it. And quickly I fell in love with the camaraderie of the sport and what it did and how it pushed me and I, I kind of forgot about running and which was really funny because I went in there to be a better runner and I ended up just diving into CrossFit as a sport and to me it became a, a family and and a sport versus just a training routine. So I I kinda dove in head first, which was funny because I, I immediately went out and, you know, bought rings for my house so I could practice muscle ups and practice lifting and started, you know, working doubles with you and going in there five, six days a week. And it became it became my life for a couple of years of just doing nothing but CrossFit and forgetting about pretty much all the other
0: sport I had, which Now, for those out there who don't necessarily know, what's a a muscle-up? So a muscle-up is something I'm relatively horrible at (laughs) still to this
1: day. But it's a a ring movement where you go from a, a uh, a hanging position on rings to pulling yourself up and pushing your body above the rings or above the bar. So you go from a dead hang to a press above the bar. And I was really bad at them, still am. And it was just one of those things that was always the... The, the glory move. If you could do these, this you're part of a gang, you're part of a club. And it was so true. Yeah, it really is. And it, it quickly became my life. Like I, I dove in head first and I, I loved every minute of it. Um, until I, so what was it that really was the, that would just put the fire in your belly about it? You know, I, I think it was, it was extremely challenging for me because I'm, I was never a lifter. I was never someone who was exceptionally strong, but it combined a uh, a little bit of strength but also quite a bit of endurance and the endurance side of things is what I was a little bit better at so the the workouts and the competitions and the stuff that involved a little bit more endurance base and you know grinding it out for a longer time and using a little bit more mental game that helped me out a little bit but at the same time the the people like I went in there and, and met people that I'm still friends with to this day and I'm still calling them up and we're having beers together and we're trying to do races together and it it was just great because you could be on a text string with ten people. Like, All right, what time are you guys showing up? Let's do this. Hey, what you get on this score? I'm gonna try to beat that, and it turns into a friendly competition. And it's almost like you have a, an entire gym holding you accountable for your daily workouts. People were constantly checking up and you know poking fun at people and and you know creating this environment that you wanted to be a part of. So for me, that was it was it was signing up for uh, training. Regiment
0: and ending up with a a lifestyle. So what was the, uh, the favorite move out of all the the CrossFit movements that you tried?
1: Uh, you know, I, I really, even though I was really bad at it, I liked the snatch as far as an Olympic move. Like I, I liked the snatch, which is you take the bar from the ground and you, you rip it up over your head. And because it was the one move where if you hit it and you hit it well, it felt effortless. But nine times out of 10, it felt like the heaviest thing in the world. And it was virtually impossible. And it, it challenged your technique. It challenged your mental game. And it was a, a really fun dynamic move. And then beyond that, anything that tied anything that in running. Because all of a sudden, I could be a little bit more <laughs> substantial in
0: the, in the sport. Fries in the rankings. So <laughs> what, I, what I remember for you, that where you excelled quickly, was uh, overhead squat. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the overhead squat I liked. Um,
1: it was it was a good movement. I have pretty decent mobility in the shoulders from my kayaking days, and uh, it it worked out pretty well. Now squatting in general, like if you take the overhead away from it, you just have me do a squat. Because of kayaking and just sitting in a boat for ten years of my life, I, I really had no legs. I <laughs> I, I had great uh, core and, and upper body strength, and my legs were just dangling in a boat for six hours a day and, you know, suffering because of it. So when I started running and, and started doing CrossFit, my, my general squad, my general leg muscles were just kind of that of a 12-year-old kid.
0: <laughs> I think you and I had similar mobility as well. <laughs> um, so for those listeners out there, CrossFit has certain workouts that are named after girls slash women um, Coach Glassman came up with the concept because he said anything that would leave you lying on your back staring up the sky wondering what happened to you had to be done by a woman um, so there are several different standardized workouts uh, any favorites uh, and, if, and if so what what why and uh, if you give a description of what it was
1: so I, I think if I, if I remember right my, my favorite named workout was Annie and it involved two movements that were that were not strength based they were speed based and skill based it was uh, I can't remember the exact numbers but it was a, a it started out 50, 50, 40, 30, yeah, 50 10. 40, 30, 20, 40, 30, and it was uh, sit ups and double unders and double unders were something that I've been doing since my wrestling days and you know way back when so I'm really good with the jump rope and sit ups you know luckily for me I had core strength I wasn't a super big guy so I could crank them out fast and that I remember being able to the first time I did that unbroken and felt amazing because it's a, a big timing workout it does hurt a lot I mean when you when you're getting on your you know 100th 120th sit up and then trying to do a really fast cardio move like you're just out of breath you don't think it's going to be hard but it's it's really hard but it was one of my my more fun workouts because I was Actually, good at it.
0: It's a classic one. Lots of people love that one. Now, then you have the workout like <laughs>
1: Fran, which to this day I've never been able, like, my goal was always to be able to do Fran unbroken, which was uh, a 21 15 9 thrusters pull up workout. And I could, I could get through the 21, I could get through the 15, and then the 9. It was just. A train wreck and the pull-ups were the easy part the thrusters for me are the kiss of death anytime thrusters were written on the board I just stared at it with a little bit of tears in my eyes I was like no and you know a lot of people think you're like oh well if you don't like it you know you'll learn to love it because you'll just do it and you'll get better at it and make you a better athlete I hate it
0: <laughs> so those who don't know thrusters are uh you're in a front rack position with a barbell and you go down into a full front squat and then you're trying to come out of the squat explosively and finish with a bar overhead and it seems rather innocent it is not (laughs) yeah and when you look at
1: the weights the the thrusters for fran were 95 pounds you look at it you're like "I i can do a front squat and a press with 95 pounds easily and then you start linking them together and you're like, okay, my legs are tired. And then the next two you're like, okay, I can't feel my arms. And it's it's just one of those movements where I loved to hate them. Like I knew it made me a better person. They did hurt, they really suffered. But at the end of the day, you get down, you're like, all right, I did that workout, great. And hopefully you improved on your time and you go on and write it down and wait for the next one to see if you progress any better.
0: So how long do you do the CrossFit thing for? uh
1: if i remember right it was it was pretty consistently for a little over two years and i ended up having to to go away from crossfit when i i got a new job and it took me it was the first job that i wasn't working locally and it was a an hour about an hour and 15 minute commute so it it took away my workout time so i ended up i i got a new job working in burlington massachusetts about an hour and a half away and i had to stop doing crossfit and it it hurt but i tried to take those same movements and incorporate them into my own workouts because they had a full gym there they had a set of rings they had everything that we could possibly need to do the exact same level of workout on my own but it, it never it never clicked like trying to do those workouts and trying to create my own plan like it it didn't work i could do them but i wasn't doing them as fast because i, I didn't have my buddy bob right next to me pushing and prodding and being in front (laughs) and kicking my butt and having that little hint of competition. Like I could do Fran on my own at a gym and all of a sudden I'm three minutes slower because there's no drive Mm -hmm. doing the same workouts. But the, the effort was different.
0: Yeah. That carrot is hard to, uh, hard to replace to have that. Someone to chase that, uh, that rabbit in front of you that you just have to keep up with. And what was interesting for me at, at that time, like after two
1: years of just die hard, nothing but CrossFit, like I, I really wasn't mountain biking as much as I used to. My running went to hell. Like Going back two years ago, the reason I signed up for CrossFit was to be a better runner and to be a better athlete. And after two years, like I was lifting heavier than I ever have in my life. I felt fantastic from a strength standpoint. My mobility was kind of going to hell in a handbasket. And then I remember signing up and running a, a 5k which used to be the, the easiest things for me to, to get out and run and I was quick, it was good and I lost like 4 minutes on my 5k time and that was uh, kind of an eye-opener that I, I might have swung the pendulum too far to the left and needed to, to kind of center it back because I still wanted to be... Uh, a, Good endurance athlete, so it, it became a good transition. I, I kind of went back and focused a little bit more on trail running, and still used strength training as a way to help. But really, kind of at that point, dove back into uh, full blown endurance running, and that that transitioned me back into ultra marathons. And I signed up for a couple fifties that I knew were going to really hurt. And that was my first introduction. It was actually after after working with you as a coach at CrossFit, I found an absolute benefit of having a coach in general for any sport that you do so I researched and found a a really good coach out of Boulder Colorado that he became my first uh, running coach and he built my plans and he helped me with my nutrition and helped me kind of dial in what I needed to do to reach my goal because I I wanted to run the Vermont 50 and I wanted to run under 10 hours and that was was I can't imagine doing anything for 10 hours (laughs) it's unbelievable it it was definitely interesting. And at that point in time I'd want I'd run one ultra marathon that was forty three miles, but it was a, a much different course. It was more mountain running. It took me thirteen hours. It was up and over seven peaks in New Hampshire and Massachusetts. But it was more scrambling and hiking and fast packing. Whereas the Vermont fifty it's it's a runnable course. You know, guys are are doing it fast in seven hours, seven and change. and I I wanted to achieve an under 10-hour, 50-mile. And so the only way I knew to do that was finding a coach that could basically build my plan and my program for me. So that that became the first, like, when I started taking my training very seriously for endurance sports.
0: So you had mentioned at one time that you actually went to a physical therapist and and got analyzed for your stride, for your running stride. Is that when you that was Did that? The, that was
1: the same same window. So
0: when I started working with this coach, uh, Adam
1: St. Pierre out of Boulder, Colorado, um, he recommended that I go and have my, my gait analyzed and have my stride looked at and make sure that, that the biomechanics of running are good because that that is a lot of the injury prevention is when you start logging long miles and you're running 50, 60, 70 miles a week if you're running incorrectly, you can mess up your knee, your hip, your ankle, your back, your shoulders, like everything, the whole alignment of a runner, it can get off pretty quick when that mileage is up there. So that was a, a really unique thing for me was to go and jump on a treadmill at uh, a, a place that analyzed strides and was the lady that did it. I can't remember her name, but she was a professional runner and professional phys- physical therapist. And, you know, she put a slow-mo camera on and down by the feet and by the neck and by the back, and watched me run on the treadmill for, you know, half hour, 45 minutes at hills, at different paces, at speeds, at slow speeds. And not only did we find where my form is the best speed wise, but also like, hey, when when you're running a hill higher than 8%, your form looks like crap, don't run. Like you'll be better off walking, or you'll be better off hiking. And it changed the way I run, it changed my stride turnover. And all of a sudden, I was able to run better, like just by a couple minute changes in the way that I strike, my arm swing, and, and clenching my fist versus having an open hand.
0: Little things that made a huge difference in the way that I run. That's so fascinating, and I, I don't know if I told you, but I went and did it. Oh, great! After based on you you mentioning that, yeah, uh, and it was again it, it, those little details. Um, are just so huge and when you start to pay attention to those it's not just one foot in front of the other you're putting together a whole picture so it does it makes a drastic difference in your performance you see time just start to melt off your mile times
1: yeah the my my time started to get faster but then i hit a plateau and, and my speed stayed the same but my distance kept going up so all of a sudden i could i could run 10 miles at a, a set speed. And again, I'm, I'm not fast. I'm just consistent, which is good. Um, my 10-mile speed all of a sudden looked like my 15-mile speed. and next thing you know, I ran my first 50 in under 10 hours. I was super excited. The first one? Yeah, my first 50, I ran at 9.57. And I was Damn. thrilled. Like, that was my goal. That was my time. That was my set. Took a lot of training. It was like six months of effort. And I had never thought that I would have gotten there. But the stars aligned. It worked out perfectly. And the, uh, again, that was, it was kind of like CrossFit, like you get into this running group and you're running with people and everyone's like-minded and you're out on the trail having a good time. And there's a thousand of your closest running friends that you haven't met yet. And, all you're talking about is, oh, have you done this race? Oh, have you done this race? Oh, you'd love this. You, you should try this one. And while I'm there and you have your runner's high going and all these endorphins are flowing and life is the greatest thing ever, I started planning out my next year's trip. Okay, what races am I going to do next year? What, what am I going to do after this?
0: What, while you're running your first one? While, while I'm running my very first
1: race, <laughs> nice. in my brain, I had just signed up for seven more. And I ran another 50 about three weeks later. I ran up my first 100K about a month after that. And while I was running the 100K, I had mentally decided to sign up for the Vermont 100 and run 100 miles the following year. And, yeah, that's when my wife just started shaking her head. She's like, you need to stop doing these races because every time you come back, you sign up for 10 more.
0: <laughs> so you go from a 50 miler and then you move on to a 100 miler. Why not double it up, right? And, and where was that? So the Vermont One Hundred was in
1: central Vermont. Runs around. I, I can't remember the names of the towns. I mean, it literally just runs all over Vermont. But they do it in the middle of July, and that was the the thing that I was the most I uh, was the most nervous for. Just straight scared about running a hundred miles in July, New England heat, and it was everything I thought it was going to be. <laughs>
0: So how does one even begin to put together training for a 100-mile race? I mean, what what does what a, a week of training look like?
1: You know, the the big thing with the training for for long-distance runs is to keep your base mileage up in the middle of the week. You know, I was running four days a week or four days in the middle of the week, like a, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then I'd take Friday off. But the mileage would be anywhere between five and eight miles, just light. But I was doing speed work and a lot of hill work during that time so I might only be running for an hour an hour and 10 minutes but I was focusing on hills or speed or something that's going to make me a better runner and then you just buckle down on the weekends and you attack long runs and you're doing you know 20 plus miles like I I remember seeing uh my first workout that my coach planned for me and there was a 20 mile run on and I got excited because oh it's a short day (laughs) like, and then the next, <laughs> all relative, right? All, it's it's how you put your mind into it. But I found it really interesting because he found more benefit in doing things that were mentally straining. Like I remember one one workout was was really unique, and it kind of shifted the way I think about how how you train and how your body gets used to these long endurance events where it was just a a standard back-to-back long run. It's like, okay, I need you to run 25 miles on Saturday, and I need you to run 25 miles on Sunday. But the catch is, I need you to run on Saturday at nighttime and have your water, go to bed, and then wake up on Sunday, first thing in the morning, have your pre-nutrition and go. So there was very little recovery for it. So I ran 25 miles. I finished up around 9 o'clock, had my water, had my, my protein and a little bit of food, Went to bed and woke up at five in the morning and was out by five thirty running another twenty five miles. And it it stacked up two big workouts with very little recovery time. And the the workout on Sunday just really hurt. Like it was draining, I was dragging, I was bonking at mile ten. But that was kind of the simulation of what you're gonna feel like for some of these longer endurance races because And bonking is bonking is you're just out of gas. Like you have, have run out of gas. You have nothing left in the tanks. Your body shuts down. Your, your brain, I think, shuts down the most and you're, you're defeated. And it's how you, you cope with that bonking feeling when you're running, when you know, hey, I'm at mile 60. I've got 40 more miles to go. I'm bonking. But what helped was having those training runs, knowing, hey, I bonked at mile 10 and it sucked for five miles and i was able to balance my nutrition out or walk through it and eventually it rebounds and you you keep going you just keep pushing forward and the, the training of being used to those bonk runs helped and knowing what that felt like especially for long endurance runs or, or bike rides or or anything like that knowing that you can eventually get out of that is it's a good thing to practice again a lot of people have different views on it because it's not very good for the body um but practicing what you're going to be feeling is definitely something that's that's beneficial
0: do you have to um i mean is it a modification of diet is it a modification of sleep i mean after you have one of those bonking sessions do you go back to the drawing board or is it just a natural part of the process that you mentally have to come to grips with i
1: think it's a it's It's a little bit of both. There's definitely a natural progression to it, but then for me, I always looked at it and said, okay, well, why did I bonk? You know, you start analyzing it. Well, I know I I didn't have the best sleep, but sleep shouldn't play into how my muscles feel too much. I mean, there's definitely that recovery window, but for me, most of my bonking was diet-based. Like I was out of calories. I was out of protein. I I didn't have any food in me. I might've not had enough water and, when you run and you're burning 1,000 calories an hour, you know, 800 to 1,000 calories an hour, you have to think about that because you have to replenish that. And it's not like you can stop and have a cheeseburger. You're having goose or, or energy drinks or uh, light calories. If you can get 200 to 300 calories in during that hour, you might not bonk. And I always found it, I'd run and I'd get in a zone and then you're an hour, hour and a half later, like, oh, I haven't had any water or I haven't had any goo. And then you, you basically are just putting yourself in a deficit. So a lot of it is is structuring your run and treating it like a schedule. All right, it's 15 minutes, I'm gonna have a sip of water, I'm gonna have a, a goo block. Okay, it's another half an hour, I'm gonna have some more calories, I'm gonna have some water. And you're just training your body to get in a rhythm of what is what is needed to finish the race. So that was your go-to, was the goo blocks? Yeah. At, at the time I was doing a lot of goo. Um, I, I liked them they tasted good they were easy on my stomach a lot of people like some people just can't do the goo basically from a consistency standpoint um, but for me they were they were lightweight they fit in my pocket and it worked um, on race day it changes because you go by these aid stations that are amazing they have sandwiches and they have candy and coke and sugar and coke. glucose and nice. Mountain Dew and potatoes and salt and i remember the the very first race i did i was like oh this is great it's like a buffet line but then you realize halfway through your run after you've just had a grilled cheese sandwich at mile 20 you're like hey i i didn't train eating grilled cheese sandwiches i wonder what this is going to do to my body and you'll learn pretty quick that it might look good but it's like a sign. like it's going to draw you in it's going to make you make bad decisions because on your training runs, I'm not stopping and eating a handful of M&Ms and a potato and a bunch of Coke. I'm having my goo blocks and I'm having my water and I'm having my energy drinks.
0: So did you dodge it or did you try it and see how it went? I I did a couple races
1: where I dodged it completely and it felt good. It felt fine. And then the longer race, by the time I got to the Vermont 100, I hit a point because still to, to train for the hundred miler, um, I didn't run more than uh, a 40 mile run for training. I, I did a couple 50 mile races to help prep for it, but I wasn't exceeding 50 miles during training. So when you get into that hundred mile group and you're at mile 65, 70, everything's kind of a guesswork for me. Cause it was my first hundred mile and I ate everything in my path. Like, I I hit a point where I was eating everything and that, that race was the first race that I realized that it takes more than one person to run a 100-mile race because you have to have support and you have to have crew. And some people were able to show up and drop their gear bags. Uh, my family was involved with it, and they were helping with the support and helping pushing me on, and my two girls were there watching me and giving me some you know, good words of encouragement. But they, without them carrying my food around, and having everything ready for me when I walked into an aid station and they had my food planned out and laid out for me,
0: I don't think it would have worked. Wow. Um, lots of questions off of that. Um, so you were eating everything in your path. Now, is that cause your body was craving that or was that because you mentally you were just like, forget it, <laughs> I'm demolishing whatever I want to <laughs> That race was, was really good because it had a, a ton of ups and downs
1: in it. Um, you know, it was, It was July, mid-July, July July 19th or something like that. Uh, Crazy hot weather. So right out of the gates, you're running. You start at 4 in the morning. You have a really good clip for a while. And then afternoon sun hits in, and it's just right over your shoulders. It's hot. It was like 90 degrees that day. And your body's just compounding calories. Every hour, you're burning more and more. And every aid station, things look better and better. And I had my food, which I was eating and staying on plan. And then you run by uh, stuff that you would never eat in your right mind. Uh, a sandwich made out of an avocado with nothing but salt on it. I was like, wow, that looks delicious right now. When I had it, it, was the best thing. It was like, and not good avocado. It was like the not ripe avocado that's still way too hard to eat. It's not going to be tasty. The bread that has been out in the sun all day and it's just stale. And then they just dump so much salt on it. But your body looks at it and it was like, I saw I saw carbs, fat, and salt. I was like, yes. Yes, please. And I started eating everything. I, I started not turning down food. I was like, I don't care if I've never run with a grilled cheese at mile 75. I'm going to eat that grilled cheese because it looks good. And that race was unique because not only did I realize that, you know, when you have a, a support crew and a team, they now become part of your your success. And it was a, a unique scenario for my wife and I where um, – the very first aid station, she didn't make it. There was uh, some traffic issues. There was horse trailers. A lot of a lot of uh, support crew didn't make the first aid station. So I got through 22 miles of running, and my support crew wasn't there. Oh jeez! And you know, you go through a lot of mental hiccups, like especially when you, you get there and you don't have your food. Okay, I go to the aid station. My food, I go off and. I was running with my cell phone and I called my wife and had a less than, I think it was a less than favorable voicemail that I left because I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on. But then I started running and realizing, you know, there's probably 20 other runners that they're like, yeah, my, my support crew wasn't there. And there was because the Vermont 100, you run it with horses and there's the, the horse hundred mile race. And then there's the foot race. So there's all these horse trailers trying to drive by. And there was just this massive congestion. You're driving down these dirt roads in Vermont. And one horse trailer basically stopped and backed up the entire road. But anyway, so you run and you're like, okay, I need calories. I need food. And there's so many moving parts to a support crew. And I found myself just eating everything in my path. And that race at, it was mile mile 60. It was a, a unique aid station because you go in, and my wife and my kids were there, and I had some food. And they're like, "All right, so you're going to go run a 14 mile loop and come right back to this aid station before you have to gear up and get your your lights, your uh, pretty much everything that you need for night running because it's it's going to be dark. You're going to be running through the night. And my wife looked at me and she said, "Hey, you know, how long do you think it's going to take you to run 14 miles?" And I was like, "Well, I've already run 60. This is going to hurt." Still hot. I'm like, I'm 12 minute miles. Let's plan on that. Plan on 12 minute miles. I'm not moving fast. She's like, okay. She takes off and goes with the kids, and they go and they get food. And at 12 minute miles, 14 miles is going to take a couple hours, right? And I remember running in the first mile. I I was running at about a 10. I was like, okay, this feels good. I'm just going to keep going here. I'm going to run a 10 minute mile. Then. I make it another six, seven miles, and I'm still running 10s. And then I noticed that it was just flat. It was the flattest section of the course. I was running quick, and all of a sudden, I'm rounding the corner, and I see the aid station. And I'm about 40 minutes faster than I told my wife I was going to be. So I got there, and she was not there. Oops. Oops. So I go in, and this guy was there. He's like, hey, what do you need? He's like, oh, I need my wife. She has everything. She has my flashlights. She has my clothes. She has my gear, my <laughs> socks. She, she literally has everything that I need to to continue on to the race. Because like there's a light checkpoint. I don't have a light, I can't run. And she was, she was in the parking lot that was about a quarter mile away with the kids playing, just waiting for me. But you weren't allowed to just mill around the aid station. So this really nice guy, that was a volunteer for the race. Ran all the way up to the, the parking lot, started yelling Victoria's name. Victoria Bird. They panic. He's running like here back, and again, you know, I'm sitting there eating cup of noodles and beef jerky and sandwiches, whatever the aid station has. Kids run through, and they were just blown away. They're like, "Oh my gosh, you ran really fast. This is gonna, this is gonna go really well for you." I was like, "I feel great. This is great." And, I found out that you know you just have throughout the course of the day you have your peaks and your valleys and I was definitely on a peak I felt fantastic I felt amazing I hadn't felt that before on races because I hadn't run that long and so I, I take off I get my, my lights and I keep going and then it started raining and classic New England thunderstorm just torrential downpour you're soaked to the bone all of a sudden you're cold and then it hit and it's like you're going slow people were dropping left and right it was just brutal. Like, it was such a brutal race. I ended up having to to hide in a barn because the thunder and lightning were, were so bad. They pulled runners into a barn and we all just kind of hung out there. It was about an hour <clears throat> of not running, of being cold and waiting. And then when you start up again, your muscles are tight and your muscles have seized. And I ended up And walking. this is mile what? Uh, this was mile 75 because I remember getting out of the barn and it was about 2.30 in the morning. I was like, all right, I have, a, I have a marathon. I have 25 miles, 26 miles left to go. I have six hours to run it to, to be under that 24-hour mark, which was what I was shooting for. And then I ran three miles, and it took me an hour. And <laughs> my muscles completely gave up. They were just tight. They're like, no, you're done. Like, right now, you're done. And I just, there was myself and two other guys that essentially we all looked like we just got beat with bats. Like, just we could barely bend our legs just sitting in a barn for an hour not doing anything after running you know 16 hours your body just stopped working and then we we walked we walked together as a group three of us in the rain for 24 miles and then we walked across the finish line i ended up finishing that race in 27 hours and could barely move it was it hurt everything about that race hurt and it was the first race that I've done, the first event that I've done, where I had zero interest in repeating it. Like people were like, oh, when's your next hundred? I'm like, you are out of your <laughs> mind. Like that like I I got done with every 50, with every hundred K charge. Oh, I can't wait for the next one. This was great. That that hundred mile race, I was like, this was not for me. It's like
0: that hurt. So now Present day, you've transitioned now to Iron Man. So where yeah. was it in this? Uh, was that the day you said, "Okay, 100 miles, we're good with." I still like the endurance thing, but I think I want to diversify a little bit.
1: Yeah, and, and my my wife is threatening to find this guy and, and break his legs. Uh, while I was running the Vermont 100, and I'll never forget it. Like I, I don't know the guy's name, but he was he was a kind of like a classic non-normal ultra runner we've all seen this guy he's big thick beard he's a little bit bigger guy but he's clipping out you know fast pace he's wearing vibram five fingers and he's running in a kilt he's nice. that guy and he just turns to me he's like oh man he's like these races are brutal he's like but if you can handle this you can handle an iron man no problem and right there like in my brain i was like okay so i'm gonna sign up for an Ironman." man that's awesome and you know for me triathlons were something that never interested me because of the swimming like I I was like I would love to do an event like this that's long and and a grinder but I am horrible swimmer like not just like I grew up in the water I'm a great swimmer I can't swim straight and I can't swim long but I was a a lifeguard I was swift water rescue I, I grew up kayaking like I grew up in the water I'm comfortable with it, but you put me in a pool. I could barely get to the other side without taking a break and gasping. And again, like it was a, a really intimidating concept to not have ever swam laps and then to think about swimming 2.4 miles to start a race and then ride 112 miles and then run a marathon. But that swimming part, and I, I looked at it and I kind of hem and hawed about it for a while. And I was like, all right, well, if I'm going to do this, I need to do it right. So, in my town, there's a, a lady, Stacy Sweetser, who runs her own company called Sweetwater Swim Studio, and she has one of those endless pools in her house, and she has it set up with video cameras. And you know, she's a coach; she is a proper swim coach, and she's also a triathlete, and she's uh, an Ironman and national champion. And she's just a crazy good athlete. So, I aligned myself with her. And Reached out. And was like, all right, I need, I need coaching. So I went to her, and she actually filmed me swim, which was the most humbling thing to watch. more so than the running, more so than the running, because running is like I, at that point, like I was a decent runner, and I was making minute changes to make myself a better runner. Being in a swimming pool, not being a swimmer, swimming incredibly slow, and just watching, go, like, oh my gosh, I look like a like a wet rat, like drowning. <laughs> and it was really humbling. And then I, I mixed in with a, a couple people at the swim club that I go to here at Hampshire Hills. And they just, we swam in the mornings. I went to Stacy and did a couple week sessions with her where she was teaching me proper form. And it was really starting from the ground level because I had no base. I had nothing to really go off of. It was, here's your form. Here's the drills. We're going to We're going to hammer technique and we're going to get you to be a better swimmer and i need to go back need because this was about a year ago that i started this and i need to go back and kind of re-up and do another video session and make sure that i haven't picked up on any more bad habits but it was really starting starting from ground zero and also taking my time with it because normally with with the running things it was you know i get a hair across my ass and sign up for something on a whim and next thing i know i'm running a 100k in three weeks with this i was like all right if i'm gonna do this i'm gonna pick a race quite a ways away i started training last january when i really decided to say hey i'm gonna i'm gonna do an iron man
0: all right so you're a year into training I'm, I'm, a, I'm a
1: year into getting after the swimming training and training for an Ironman race um i started working with a triathlete or a triathlon coach uh about three months ago so she's she's putting together my entire training program from run bike and swim on a weekly basis um, but i started working with a swim coach about a year ago and the race that i'm doing is iron man lake placid in 2018 so again it's a middle of july race in lake placid it's one of the hillier iron man courses um but it's a, a good entry for myself because it's it's local i, I need to make sure that i like iron man races before i start doing you know, massive travels and trips and, you know, going out to, you know, ideally I'd love to do the one in Arizona because it's, it's flat, it's fast. It's flat, but I can't, I can't drive out there. I've got kids, I've got family. I can't take two weeks off to go to Arizona and race. Um, say so yeah, I'll do Ironman Lake Placid in 2018. That's my first
0: Ironman. Do- any fear, any issue, something out there with, uh, this new, swimming? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, I'm looking forward to this spring because
1: I I haven't done any open water swimming. Everything's been technique-focused and drill-focused in a pool. So, springtime comes around, I'm going to have to start transitioning to open water swimming, which changes the game because it's easy to get into a pool and look down and you have a, a strip on your lane that tells you to go straight. You get into open water and it's murky. You have to start sighting and looking up and making sure that you're on track and then also you're swimming with you know, a couple hundred people who are going to be hitting you and kicking you inadvertently, accidentally, this isn't survival swimming. But <laughs> you're, you're going to get kicked, you're, you're going to get a foot to the face or you might get your goggles ripped off. Like To me that's the most, because it's, it's a sport that I'm so new in, swimming, that's the thing that makes me the most nervous. But I'm also looking at it as like, all right, I've progressed really well from last year to now. My my nerves are kind of settling because I, I feel like if I stay on the track that I'm on, by the time I get to Ironman Lake Placid, I'll be ready for it and confident with my swimming. And then from there, it's you know, jump on a bike. I, I love riding bikes. I ride bikes a ton. Um,
0: so that component's good to go? You good with biking? I'm comfortable with biking.
1: I like it. I enjoy it. Um, been running i I can handle the the mental game i mean the the one variant it's a it's a 10 hour race it's an 11 hour race it's a 12 hour race there's a lot that could go on Uh, you can cramp it could be hot it could be cold you could drop a water bottle you could you know there's a lot of different variations that can change your race on race day so quickly um so there's always those kind of pre-race jitters like okay do i have everything is everything Buttoned up. Do I know how to change a tire? Do I have spare parts? And those race day jitters, I don't think go away until you finish the race. Um, hey, seriously? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, every everything. You know, I I did a race. I, I did a trail running race, and I broke my shoelace, and it put me in a tailspin because I I got my shoes stuck on a branch, and I ripped my my shoelace, and then when I retied the shoelace. I couldn't get my, my shoe quite tight enough. And it just messed with me mentally. So I, it's, it's the smallest little things that can affect you mentally. And uh, a good friend of mine did Iron Man Lake Placid last year. And this guy is a machine. He's a fast individual. And he got a flat tire on his bike ride. And he was cranking. Like he, was, he was probably going to be a sub-10 Ironman guy for Lake Placid. He was going to shave off about 25 minutes off of his his time from his previous year's race, and he got a flat tire. And he got off his bike, and he's changed flat tires before, so he was going to do it quickly, and he just put himself in an interesting position while changing his tire and his quad cramped up, which has not happened for him. And then he jumped back on his bike, and he was riding with a, a leg cramp for the next 40 miles. And then he got off his bike, and that cramp was still there. And this is a guy that has a, a sub-three uh, Boston Marathon time. He's, he's just a fast runner. And then you look at his splits, and he had a couple 12-minute miles because of that leg cramp that came because he got a flat tire kind of affected him. He's still PR. He was 10, 14, quick time, super fast, impressive to know that he still cramped up and made it that way, but I don't think he was planning on getting a flat tire.
0: So really the whole race, you're concerned about if you have the equipment to change the tire if you you're just hoping that you don't have to but if you do do you have it it's
1: always those juggles um there's always those juggles with your gear uh for bike racing especially you know Mm -hmm. gear equals weight i want my bike to be as light as possible i want my backpack to be light as possible do i need to bring two tubes or do i bring one do i need to bring this kind of pump so you start making sacrifices, you're like, alright, I'm planning to not flash, so I'm gonna bring minimal gear. I'm planning on not bonking, so I'm gonna bring less food. Or what happens if you do? So it's it's a trade-off and just making sure you have the right gear and the right components for your race.
0: So much different from your traditional sports where you gotta really <laughs> have a laundry list of yeah. items that you gotta make sure you get checked off. Yeah, exactly. And then I I don't know what
1: the what the rules are. I still need to learn about triathlons, but you can't have outside help, so if I'm riding my bike down the course and I start getting really tired and I see my wife, my wife can't hand me an apple or an orange or food or a cheeseburger, like, she can just stare at me and watch me suffer. Um, whereas a lot of the training races and, and, you know, she could show up with a tray of Chinese food at mile 14 if I wanted it. Like, <laughs> it gives me as much outside, as long as she's not literally carrying me across the, the finish line, It'd give me anything I want. Um, whereas those races, it's all self-contained self-support. Like you leave your transition station with the gear that you need to finish that leg and that's it. So you, you really have to be planned for it. So I'm going to be doing a, a lot of training rides where I might stop in the middle of a you know six-hour ride and just change my tire for fun. Just be like, alright, can I do this? Can I get off the bike super-gassed, super-fatigued? out of breath and have the wits to change my tire and get it back to work in order while I'm still needing to finish
0: my ride. Something I never really considered thought about that to work that into your training rather yeah. than just physically, Yeah. that mental, can you handle if something goes wrong on the side of the road and it's 95 degrees baking you and can you focus and change a tire?
1: And at that point, like it's, it's a race. People aren't going to like, they might ask you how you're doing. Are you okay? Like yeah, and they're gone. They just take off. They're not going to stop and help you with a flat tire. It's not a group ride. Training rides. Someone gets a flat tire, everyone stops. End up turning it into you know a break uh, race day. People are just going to blow by you. So you have to be confident in knowing that you can take care of yourself, take care of your own gear.
0: So now, um, I'm sure people are curious. Now that you've done all these endurance races what's your go to for food like what what is the thing that you just lean on that's always in the the backpack or the the arsenal
1: yeah so i in the in the early days of trail running it was pretty basic i i had a, a lot of uh goose and cliff bars and then i had uh water and usually like a, a noon tablet or some sort of electrolytes but um as i've kind of progressed and kind of looked for that perfect blend uh, My buddy who did the Ironman Lake last year turned me on to Infinite Performance uh, or Infinite Nutrition, uh, which is a a customizable nutrition program. So this company, all they do is they focus on calories, nutrition, electrolytes for you, so you don't have to have a backpack full of goose and noon and electrolytes and proteins. It's all built into one drink. So uh, a couple months ago I called. This company up and you do a little consultation, and you create a customizable blend. They ask you questions like, "Are you a heavy sweater? How do you process proteins?" And after you know a month or so of tweaking, I came up with some really good drinks. You know, one specifically designed for running, so it digests my body a little bit better. And then the the bike blend gives me a little bit more uh, substance, so it feels like a meal. I mean. One bottle of drink has 300 plus calories in it. has all the electrolytes I need. has proteins, has carbs, has amino acids. Uh, so it's like a one hit under. Like I don't need to eat. I just need to drink, which is easier to process.
0: So and this then, is fascinating. So this is made tailored to you. Yeah. So this is a formula that's for you, for what you do. And then, so when they send it to you, is it, is it numbered? Is it, how is it marked? Like, how do you know? in
1: a powdered form and they... They basically tell me what's what's in it, and I can go online and, and go to my account and kind of tweak it out like, oh, you know, this was good, but I, I kind of want a little bit more sodium in it. And, you know, for me, sodium is, I, I will take as much as I can. I'm a heavy sweater, I, I need salt, I'm prone to cramping on occasion, so I, I jack the sodium. Oh, and it, Because of that, the flavor wasn't there, so I'm going to increase the flavor, and, you know digesting it was was weird so i'm going to take down the protein level um it's fully customizable on your own but once you talk to a nutritionalist and and their specialist like it's great it's amazing like it was an
0: absolute game changer for me do they keep working with you so if you make those changes is someone looking over your shoulder to make sure that that's the right change to make or do they give you that freedom to? they
1: give you that freedom but they're also like you can very easily just call them back up and say hey I tried it, used it for a month. Here's my feedback. What can we do? Or, you know, I'm I'm at the process right now where I've been using my my biking formula when I swim, but I know that they have uh, a pack or a, an idea for swimming. So I'm gonna call them up probably next week and say, okay, like this stuff is amazing. I need a blend for swimming. What should I be looking at? What should I be using? Um, But it's it's been a game changer, especially on my my long runs. It it lightens up my packs because I don't need to bring a lot of extra solid calories. And it actually, it's helping with my recovery. And they have a a full program of proteins. And they have this one protein that I'm in love with when I work out at night. They actually have a a nighttime-based protein recovery drink. It's a Nocturne. And they actually put tryptophan in it. So when you get done with your evening workout and it's... Ten o'clock at night, and you're kind of pumped up and a little jacked, and can't sleep. This protein not only helps with your recovery, but it also helps kind of lull you into a a better night's sleep because of the tryptophan. It's like the same stuff that's in a a Thanksgiving turkey that makes you tired and want to take a nap. That's so cool. I've I've been leaning on on Infinite for quite a while to kind of be my nutrition for my races and for my my day to day. My pre-race my post-race or pre-workout and post-workout during workout kind of they it's all they do
0: so and they're good at it i I mean that's amazing to have someone i mean nutrition is such a huge component in any sport let alone yours and to have someone guide you that specifically yeah that is just unreal
1: again it it goes back to the coaching concept I, i really like someone else telling me what i need to do so to jump on the phone with these guys and have a consultation and tell them about me and how I work out and what I do and they're a professional and this is what they do. And they make the the adjustments, they help me with my blends and they give me the guidance I need because if it was just me and a website and a bunch of buttons, I'm sure this stuff would taste like poison and it probably wouldn't benefit me much.
0: So, so actually you beat me to the next question. So is that what you would recommend? As if someone's listening now and they're thinking about moving in this direction, I mean, is that what basically you'd recommend them to do? Go find that coach in whatever discipline that you need? And Absolutely. Like I,
1: I would say if, if someone is getting into a sport and wants to do well or, or is just looking for a lifestyle change, to me, a, a coach, a, a partner, it's accountability. Um, I get personally invested in my training and, and I don't want to let my coach down. I don't want to let myself down. And the coach not only helps me with my training and my workouts and planning me to be a better athlete, but also uh, it reminds me that, Hey, you, you brought me on to make you a better athlete and they're holding me accountable. Like if, if I miss a workout, you know, I, I get it. I get a text. Hey, I saw you didn't do a workout. We need to shift this week so you can make that workout up because if you don't do it, you're not doing the plan and not holding yourself to the goals that you've already set. And for me, it's it's a night and day difference. The second I found what coaching brings to my level of fitness and how much more I get out of it than trying to do it on my own is a game changer. Because with the internet, I mean, you should be able to you can download a, a training plan for any sport online for free. It's it's a super simple thing to do. But for me, it was just harder to follow. I didn't have the willpower, or dedication, or, or whatever it may be to. To do it 100% on my own. The, the knowledge is out there. The technology is out there. It's, it's all there at the tip of your fingers. But having a coach helps kind of guide. And it makes me feel like it's, it's catered to me. Because I'm not getting a canned program like, oh, this is what you're doing along with 5,000 other people that downloaded this on the internet. But this is catered to me. It's focusing on my strengths, on my weaknesses. You know, I'm swimming more than I'm running. Because running is, I'm already well, my base is good, so I run two three days a week, but I'm swimming three days a week no matter what because that needs a lot of help.
0: What uh, if someone was going to get a coach? Roughly, like what's the investment? Like well, it. It doesn't have to be hard and fast numbers. No, just, just so if someone's budgeting and they like, look, I, I, I want. I'm, I, I'm listening. I want to go and do an Ironman in 2018, 2019. Will, roughly, what would I have to put together if I want to kind of follow what you what you put together? I would say monthly training plan. Like the baseline is going to be
1: about one hundred and fifty dollars a month. There's there's lower cost, but it, it's feature based. So you start to lose. And I'm not speaking on behalf of every coach out there that has a pricing structure. But you know, if you if you find a coach that's fifty bucks a month, you're going to get fifty dollars worth. Mm-hmm. If you have a coach that. Is actually going to do workouts with you and analyze your training. That's going to cost more, but uh, at $150 a month, it's essentially the cost of a, a membership to a gym or or CrossFit. Um, but uh, you're getting a detailed weekly plan. You're you're getting structure for your needs specifically. And to me, it's it's enough money to make me not skip a workout because I'm paying $150 a month for a coach so i'm going to use that coach i'm going to make sure that i'm not wasting my money and i'm not wasting their time and i'm going to do it
0: do you have any resources where people could find coaches how did you find your coaches so
1: oddly enough uh, amherst new hampshire is chock full of triathletes and uh, i go through a coaching uh, company called uh, peak tri coaching and they specialize in triathlon coaching. They're based out of New Hampshire. Uh, Colin Cook is the the owner. He actually trains here at the same gym that I swim at. Uh, he's a local, lives in Bedford or somewhere. I don't know where he lives. Um, but he's a local and he's done the races that I'm doing. And he's done Ironmans and he's done shorter distances. And my swim coach actually works with him. And my my tri-coach uh, works with him. And she's a, a triathlete professional national champion. like. I go. I wanted to go with something a little bit more localized and have that local camaraderie because you can find coaching all over the place. Um, but I also think it's important to find a coach that has actually done the races that you're looking to do so they know the course, they know what you're looking at, what's going to be in front of you. Uh, my first running coach, I went and looked for a coach that had actually had experience running the Vermont 50 and has run that course and has run in New England in the summertime so they could help me kind of train and plan for it. So I would say look for local coaches that have run the races that you're looking to run and have similar clientele and you can, you can find out because you can read testimonials and you can talk to people that might be already in the coaching program being coached by them and, and that's what I did. I wanted to work with these guys because they're local and I knew them, but also the results that they're getting from their other athletes were tremendous, and people liked their programming. Because it's not about, for me, it's not about winning the race. I, I know I'm not going to go out there and, and win. Like it, that's not me. That's not what I'm doing. I just want to go out there and be the best version of me for that race. And they're they're on board with that. They're they're pushing me. They're hard. Some of these workouts are just brutal. You know, waking up at 5 a.m. to jump in a pool for an hour. and hour and 20 minutes is just nuts <laughs> and then to go to work all day and turn around and do a hill workout that night but i do it and i feel great so the coaching stuff i mean going back to that local resources and make sure the coach has done the
0: race that you've done so if someone's out west they would or would not be able to use colin for for guidance oh, i think they could yeah i mean because everything
1: is online based and you could absolutely use colin and, and his Coaching staff, uh, you could be in another country uh, because it's web-based. Cool. But I would make sure that if if you're looking to get into Ironmans, make sure your coach has done Ironmans. <laughs> you know, I, I I interviewed with one coach when I was looking for a running coach and came to find out that you know she was a short distance coach. Like she specialized in uh, half marathon and, and below. Like she. Focus mainly on 5Ks and 10Ks. So it didn't make sense for me to hire her to work with her. And she doesn't do trail running and she doesn't do ultramarathons. So really make sure that the coach has done the events that you're looking to do and specializes in them.
0: So I take it you're kind of like some of these other people who recruited you to move on to Ironman and other races. So when you're talking to others, are there any or resources that you kind of throw out there that are, you know, kind of get people primed and <laughs> willing to run alongside of you in some of these, uh, crazy races you do,
1: you know, in, uh, on, on the running side of things, there's a, a book that's been out there. It's kind of the trail running ultra marathon Bible. It's a uh, relentless forward progress. It's written by, uh, Brian Powell. And the guy's a, a namesake. He's been around for, for ages. Um, It's one of the books that I keep going back to. I've read it probably a dozen times. There's some great stories in there. There's great advice about running and about nutrition for longer events. Um, You know, I'm I'm not yet a triathlete because I haven't done one yet. Um, And I'm just starting to kind of go down this path of uh, reading the resources. For me, it's it's mostly been online for for the triathlon stuff. But, I mean, constantly looking for, for new resources and new materials to read. Uh, but most of it's just online.
0: Uh, well, I know you got a uh, swimming workout to get to, so yeah, I want to yeah. let you uh, start tearing it up. But uh, uh, your resume is just insane. Um, it, it, personally, I've done a marathon, and I thought I, I had to figure out what it was like to do something for four plus hours. Yeah. And here you are, exploring days <laughs> of, of training and movement. Days of training. Um, you know, what's, what's fun with that is it's is it's always been different. I've always
1: kind of strived for finding something fresh that's going to help keep me motivated. I mean, I, I was not a runner. I was a kayaker. I, my my passion, my sport passion was kayaking. I was on the U.S. kayaking team for 10 years, went to three world championships. And then, you know, when you moved to New England and there's no water in the summertime, you kind of have to find something new to do and you know, I'll, I'll give running a shot. And then... I give biking a shot, I'll give triathlon a shot, and it's fun to just kind of mix things up and not go down the route of identifying yourself as just one thing, like, I'm so much more than just a kayaker, like, it's, it's been fun, it's definitely been a wild ride to, to have so many different sports that I'm dabbling in and kind of giving my all in while I'm doing them, but really finding out that. I love biking. I, lo- I like running. I, don't, I won't say I love running,
0: but I like it a lot. I think that's one of the coolest things about following you <clears throat> is that you're willing to say, eh, i with it. Yeah. I'm going to try this and I'm going to master it. You just keep pressing forward and mastering new things. And I, I think you're right. I think a lot of athletes will identify as a tennis player, as a basketballer, as a golfer, and then think that they can't go and master another sport and then they just stick with what they know so it's cool to watch you and watch you evolve as an athlete yeah it's been it's been fun so. well thanks again dan um and we'll have to you know check back in after the first uh triathlons in the books yeah that'll be good i um, yeah
1: nine more months nine more months of training we'll see how it goes
0: all right buddy buckle down we'll talk to you all right thanks mark <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to the Athlete Peeps podcast today. I realize you have many choices and I appreciate you spending your time here with me. Please subscribe and make sure you leave us a review and tell us how you think we're doing. I certainly appreciate it. Now, I want you to get after it, go out there and be awesome. See you next time.